Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Foundation Phase series of the Tar Heel Prescription, a student-run podcast here at the UNC School of Medicine. My name is Abdul. And my name is Anu. We know that the heme block has been in full swing for about a week now. Sorry for the delay, MS1s. And based on some conversations we've had, we know that it's been a bit stressful for some of you. Today, we're hoping we can take the cortisol levels down a notch by breaking down this block with someone y'all should recognize from class, your TA, Aaron Fox. Aaron is an MS4 currently applying into emergency medicine and TAing for the hematology block as part of the medical education scholarly concentration. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. If you would, please tell us a little more about yourself and what you're up to right now at UNC. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, First off, I just want to say thank you for having me. I've never actually been in a recording studio before, so I feel very out of place, but also very at home at the same time. My name's Aaron Fox. I was born and raised in Hickory, North Carolina, which is kind of right at the halfway point between Charlotte and Asheville. Did high school there. I went to undergraduate at the University of South Carolina and then came back here for medical school. I've gone the public school route uh, the entire way. Initially going into medical school, I thought that I was going to do psychiatry. That's actually, I didn't want to be a physician. I wanted to be a psychiatrist specifically, um, particularly in addiction medicine. I followed through with that all the way up until the beginning of third year. But once I got into the clinic, I realized that my idea of what some of these professions would look like and what they actually felt like on a day-to-day basis was quite different. Um, And the emergency department is really just where I felt the most at home and felt in love or fell in love, I guess. That's how my career path sort of shifted. The beginning of fourth year is when you knock out a lot of your AIs. So I've done a home AI. I went to CMC Charlotte to do an away. I did a critical care month in Asheville. Um, I was going back there. I did my third year in Asheville. So I wanted to go, you know, take a victory lab, go back to Mission Hospital and see everyone from the year prior. Um, Right now, we just submitted the ERAS applications. We're waiting to hopefully have some of those interviews trickle in. Um, And until then, I enjoy teaching, so I'm excited to be TAing your hematology block. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, and we're so happy to have you as our guest today. And we'll dive right in into hematology. So recently, someone was asking us to describe how the hematology block compares to immunology, what they had previously. I think people's experience with immunology is so dependent on whether they've seen any immunology before medical school. How would you describe this transition? What do you remember about your experience with starting hematology right after immunology? Uh, I, I love that question because that, w- that was certainly the experience for me. Um, I was a psychology major in undergrad, so I certainly did not have any immunology experience coming into medical school. And I would say the experience that I had was very different than a lot of my friends and that they just, you know, POM, everybody had kind of seen the material. Immunology, they were just coasting. They were like, I, I know this. I wrote papers on this. And I was like, I have never seen these words before in my life. So hematology a little bit was in a selfish way almost gratifying because it's the point when everyone else started to struggle with me. You know, like the hematology block really is just the great equalizer. It's like most <laughs> everyone has not seen any of that material before. So regardless of your background, the only thing that you can all fall back on is your ability to learn and pick it up because no one has a head start in that block. So I think that that was going back to that. It didn't necessarily feel harder for me going immunology to hematology, but I could certainly see that shift in everyone else who that was the first time that they really had had no prior experience with the content. On the flip side of that, in some ways, I felt it a little bit easier than immunology because you're starting to inch toward the body as organs and as tissue. Immunology for a lot of students, uh, me included, it feels like this vague concept where you know it's all going on somewhere in the body, but it's hard to really localize it in space. And when you're someone who has that spatial organization or you like to tie it into anatomy and physiology, it's hard to do that. And so with blood, 
strangely being classified as a tissue and with the spleen and the bone marrow, you're starting to inch towards organ systems, which I think is a bit easier to visualize and to grapple with conceptually for some people, myself included. I love that. The great equalizer. Really, that is solid. So for this great equalizer, what would you say are the high yield topics? You, you get this question a lot, especially as an older student. And, and it's hard because what I see is important to me right now is not what's important in first year. You know, you've got the USMLE and UNC med school exam important, and then you've got clinically important. Um, the overlap, I'm sure you're so tired of this word by now, is anemia. That is something that is huge on the exams, but also you see it so much, especially with anemia of chronic disease. You know, we live in a society where a lot of our patients are increasingly elderly, increasingly have one or more chronic conditions and comorbidities, and mild anemia of chronic disease is just really rampant. You know, every time you get a CBC in the emergency department, they're probably going to be mildly anemic, and you, you kind of have to just discard that and realize when the anemias are clinically relevant and when they're not. Um, I guess trying to keep it back on topic. So knowing the inside and the outs of all of the different causes of anemia, you know, whether they're acute hemorrhage, whether it's iron deficiency, and realizing that the extent to which you're learning a lot of these things is not always the incidents that they happen in society. You know, I think a lot of these cases that we focus on in preclinical phase, they're really good examples of teaching the pathophysiology. And you can point to a disease and say, this is beautiful because you knock out this enzyme, you get these symptoms and it all makes sense. And then you realize you're never going to see that again. So I think it's both on one hand, understanding that you do need to know there's for the interim. And maybe one day you will see a patient with that disease. Um, but also just understanding common things being common. Really know your anemias. Know your iron deficiencies. I think that in addition to that, transfusion medicine is something that you get a brief glimpse of. But it's something that goes on in the hospital every single day. You know, the benefits, the risks of blood transfusions. I could go on a whole tangent about the, the threshold of 7.0. We, we won't dive down that. Just knowing the ins and outs of that, I think, are very helpful. And then having a general conceptual understanding of chemotherapy and how it works. Um, I don't remember all of the specific drugs. I don't think you have to, you know, know every single NAB, adamitimab, whatever, adalimumab drug that you're going to see. But just having a general understa understanding of the cellular processes that these work on and how that leads to all of the terrible side effects that a lot of these chemotherapeutic agents have, because you will certainly have those patients regardless of what field of medicine that you're in. I love that you mentioned these more clinically relevant, what's common is common type of medical conditions. Uh, I think the switch from immunology to hematology is very much characteristic of that because you're going from learning about things like IgA deficiency or maybe DeGeorge syndrome, which are relatively rare as compared to anemias, which is like very widespread iron deficiency, lymphomas, leukemias. So We've had some students ask us how they should go about learning and kind of classifying these topics. What would you recommend in terms of finding or creating good organization schemes for materials like this, maybe both preclinically and in a clinical sense? Yeah, I, I think the, the answer to that, I can't overemphasize the importance of understanding concepts and processes. For instance, in the small group today, we had the tables for all of the classifications, you know, is MCV going to be increased, decreased in this disorder, yada, yada, yada. And having a photographic snapshot picture of that table is worthless because what you really need to like understand is why these things are happening. You know, when I in going back from a fourth year to a first year, I thought it was going to be so hard to relearn this material, but it turns out like 
because I had taken, I guess, that time to learn the processes, it all came intuitively back to me. I don't remember the Anki cards that I studied three years ago, but the YouTube videos I watched that really explained a concept to me and explained why things were the way that they are, I then had that foundation to go back and plug all of those little fun fast facts into. And once I could take all of those little bits of information that showed up on one random Anki card or in one line of first aid, it was easier to go back and make that stick because I had that foundation to know where that piece of the puzzle fit. But I went forth, you know, in, in the beginning of immunology with the great idea that I was just going to read first aid so thoroughly that I was going to know everything. And that was terrible because... First aid is good. It's it's spark notes. It's a good for consolidation, but it doesn't explain why things are the way that they are. So I think these things like Anki and first aid are great for reviewing and for solidifying that. But knowing the lectures or your outside resources, whether that be sketchy, whether that be B&B &B, and have someone explain to you why this is the way that it is, is the most important thing. And that will get you so much further in classifying things both clinically and for the exam. Because an exam question isn't going to be list every cause of microcytic anemia that you can think of. It's going to give you a case of a certain type of anemia. And you're going to recognize, you know, this is microcytic. And if this is what I think it is, it makes sense that it would be microcytic because that's how this physiologic process works. I love that you mentioned that, especially talking about processes. And on the note of learning these processes, um, how should students go about studying for this block in terms of balancing lecture and small group materials and third-party resources, like you mentioned? Are there any specific resources you would recommend for learning certain topics that are particularly granular, you know, like the coagulation cascade, clotting factors, all that good stuff? This is also a tricky question because the right answer is it's simple, but it's not easy. And that is the resources that are going to be best for you are the ones that you feel like work best for you. I spent a lot of time trying to make myself an Anki person. It didn't work out. I know people that scored 265, 270 on step one and solely used Anki. That's what worked for them. And hematology, in a way, as I called it, you know, the great equalizer, nobody's coming in with this prior experience. This is when you're the most pushed to find out how you study and how you learn. And the process to medical education from an MD perspective is much more clinically oriented and it's an entire different pedagogy than what we had in undergrad because a lot of that are teaching within a chemistry major within a biology major and it's people that are going to go on to do phds so a lot of that educational structure is more on the phd route but then you get to the md route and realize that it's a whole different way of learning one that i was definitely not familiar with don't try to force yourself into a square hole if you're a round peg type of person you know, experiment with the different resources um, hopefully on a cost-effective method i know that a lot of these are expensive but Experiment with what works for you. And if something feels right and you enjoy it, stick with it. Because if you can, weird as it sounds, look forward to studying in some way because you found a method that you enjoy, that's just going to encourage you to study. I resented Anki so much that one day I just stopped using it and got behind. So I would say I can't give you a formal recommendation. You know, I can tell you what worked for me. And a lot of that was videos, having people explain that to me. I can remember specifically uh, Dirty Medicine was a YouTube account that I watched a lot of. Um, online med ed, that's getting more into third year. But I love when somebody talks me through it, like your classic lecture type of thing. Now, I didn't go to UNC lecture, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But that's what worked for me. But don't do not do what I did because I, I developed the Aaron Fox method. And that only works for Aaron Fox. You know, you're going to develop the insert your name here method. And someone's going to look at you and say, you can't learn like that. And, you know, it's like, no, you can't learn like that. But I can because I know this works for me. So I would say 
your study method that you're going to find is probably going to be an amalgamation of a bunch of different things that you have heard. So listen to everyone's advice, but don't take any one specific set of advice into too much account. The Aaron Fox method. And kind of going off of what you're saying, I'm also going to put in a plug for Pathoma, which I guess worked for the Abdul method uh, for hematology. But speaking of different learning styles, small groups. There's a lot of them, specifically at 8 a.m. It can be a bit exhausting just to think about it in the first place. I know, personally, I wasn't a big fan. How would you recommend students prepare and engage to make the most of these small groups, especially when they might be coming in with perhaps a more negative attitude? Yeah, those those 8 a.m. small groups, are they're rough. And I can tell you, as your fourth-year TA, they're still rough. But I think in terms of preparation the night before, you don't have to have all of the answers, but have a general idea of what's going on. Get a 40,000 foot view of the cases so that when you come in, you're not really going to have to sit down and be like, oh, this, this, is, this is what this case is today. So you don't necessarily have to answer all of the questions, but just know typically what direction it's going in. Um, the topic is probably going to be what you studied in lecture two days beforehand or the day beforehand. They typically follow that pattern for good reason. It kind of solidifies that information. So have a general understanding, and then you can come in and discuss it with your group and kind of bounce ideas off each other. But you're probably not going to have the time to all start from scratch and come up with all of the answers. And the more you participate, really, the more you get out of it. There's nothing worse as a TA than like the awkward crickets in the room. You know which of my students has gotten questions wrong? Because I don't, you know, and I don't know which of my students has gotten questions right because I'm just happy that somebody said something. Because I can either say, yes, you are exactly right, that is awesome, or I can say, no, but it's helpful for me to know that that is where you're getting hung up because then I can explain it. Because if, if I'm getting no feedback and I'm just, you know, standing there and I see a bunch of blank faces, I don't know if what I'm telling you is like changing your life or if you're looking at me just like, I have no idea what this man is saying right now. So I think it's very helpful just to give some sort of feedback and participation because that way the faculty can really tailor your education to you and address the problems that come up. Definitely. And I think we should appreciate that as a fourth year TA, you're going through a second round of these very same 8 a.m. small groups to do it all over again. And this time to try and push people to get out of the crickets, which we were so comfortable to be in as first years. Um, so outside of struggling to wake up for these 8 a.m. small groups, where do you think students might struggle the most in this block? Are there some topics in hematology that students will need to spend more time on or learn in different ways to absorb better? Uh, I can only really speak from personal experience in that regard because this is my, my first time TAing. The things that I struggled with or the biochem lectures. I still have nightmares about those. But I think that, again, kind of going back to this PhD method of teaching, we have such awesome specialists teach the different topics, the embry embryology, the microbiology, the pathology. But because of that, you're getting expert level lectures on everything. Um, so I think just trying to glean what's really important from those lectures and not getting so bogged down in the details of this is the seventh step, what's the eighth step? Because that's, that's not clinically relevant. You know, the things that are going to be relevant is what enzyme is messed up, what symptoms is it causing, and what are you going to do about it? That's really the things that are probably going to be testable. They're not, you're not going to get a flat question that's like, what enzyme catalyzes this reaction with this reaction? That's the undergrad wave. You're kind of beyond that, and it's just going in a different direction. So the biochem hung me up, and also the chemo drugs, just because there's a ton of them. They all have weird names, and they're changing. Like, I think you'll probably have one that's three days old on your exam, you know? So I don't even, I can't even keep up with those. Anyone outside of oncology really doesn't keep up with one of those. But it's kind of like you learned the different antimicrobials and foundation phase, knowing the big classes. 
like these are the inhibitors of this, this inhibits this, and like how those general things work. Other than that, I don't think there's any specific topic that is so difficult that you can't understand it. I can't say that any specific thing I had to learn in med school was more difficult than undergrad. For me, the things I learned in undergrad arguably were more difficult conceptually, but it wasn't nearly as much. I never walked into an exam in med school saying like, I feel like I studied everything enough. I did that in undergrad a lot and I was like, okay, I, I studied, I did it all. No, but like med school is just one giant to-do list that you never finish and you have to be okay with that. You know, so I think it's more disaster management. It's not like, how can I get every question right? It's like, how can I spend my time to get the least amount of questions wrong? So we heard that in your introduction to the MS1 class, you had mentioned that you really enjoyed the hematology block during your first year. What did you enjoy most? And what do you think students have to look forward in this block? I think this was the first block where I had a hint of this is what it feels like to be a physician. You know, it all kind of came together. And I think as much as I hated those waking up for those 8 a.m. small groups, that's where it kind of clicked for me is like, I might see this patient one day and I might be able to fix that. You're giving me a patient presentation with these problems that are very common, you know, something like iron deficiency anemia. You're going to see that every day, more or less. Um, just seeing that this is how it presents. Here's what you can do about it. Here's how you can actually make someone's life better and be a helpful physician and have some sort of applicable knowledge that will actually be meaningful. I didn't have so much of that in immunology because you're constantly being told like, this is really rare. This is really strange. We have some specialists that diagnose it. But like other than that, I don't know. It's just kind of fairy dust. You know, so that really didn't resonate with me as much as hematology. But diving in and seeing all of these things that were so common, were so treatable, and I had known some people with some of these diseases throughout my life and just feeling like I had learned applicable knowledge that maybe I could use one day to help a patient's life, to improve their quality of life, or to actually make a difference. I think that's what I enjoyed about hematology block. I didn't inherently enjoy the hematology material. I don't have a, to tell you the truth, you know, I shouldn't be saying this, I don't have a profound appreciation for hematology above and beyond the other body systems. I just think that the timing of this block was just right. And I liked TAing it more for the reasons like I talked about outside of the curriculum, the adjusting to med school process. You know, I want to be like the class dad. Like, that's why I want a TA. I don't want a TA just because I love anemias that much. So in terms of success for the block, we had, I would say, interesting events happen uh, during our own hematology last year. Um, we had a wellness day that caused a delay in exams that kind of pushed everything back. And we ended up taking something like 70% of our total class grade uh, within the span of a week. So a lot of people had fallen behind because you're studying for this exam and you're learning new material for the final. And it's all a mishmash of everything. If someone were to fall behind, what's the best way to kind of catch up with this material? Especially because, like you said, it's the great equalizer. Things are getting real. What should someone do? Mm, yes, the, the infamous unwellness day. Um, we, your <laughs> upperclassmen, have heard peripherally a lot about that. I don't know too much of the details, so uh, no comment there. But I would say the biggest thing, if you're really in a crunch, you know, everyone's going to tell you, you can't cram for med school exams, blah, blah. Everybody crams all the time. Like med school is four years of cramming, you know. So I think that if you're really in a time crunch and you want to focus on it, realize that the questions that are being picked, although they're MBME, they're being handpicked by your block directors. And they're only going to handpick questions that they have somehow put on the slides. So even if you're going to use outside resources, your high yield heavy hitter material is within the slides. 
and especially within the small group slides because that's where they go down and skim off the non-important details from the PowerPoint slides that you have thousands of and put them in a nice, neat package 20 slide presentation with tables at the end that could prove to be very effective. So I think that small group slides, the answer documents, I mean, they're written by the professors. It's just beautiful. It's hand delivered to you. I think it's great. Um, I also, as we had heard from the Pathoma plug earlier, I do think that that is helpful because Pathoma is somewhat condensed as compared to Boards and Beyond or as compared to um, first aid or boot camp, which was not around back in my day, but a lot of my class really seems to enjoy it. So I would say use the slides as your branching points. You know, going through an outside resource top to bottom is not going to be efficient for time. You can do that during dedicated, but that's why you have two months. If you have two days, stick to the slides, stick to the small group material. And if you want to plug some pathoma in, that's like your high yield pathology, which like ultimately that's a lot of med school is pathology. Thank you so much for being honest and for reminding us to, you know, keep the why at the forefront of our minds, especially when we get bogged down with learning about things and cramming for things and suffering along the way sometimes. But um, it's part of the process. And, you know, it's it's important to remember that we're thinking about our patients at the end of the day. And that's why we came into medicine and to remember that it's, you know. It's something I look forward to in the future to be able to, to serve them. So those are all of the questions we have for you. We'd like to leave a little bit of room now for you to share any other thoughts or insights that you might have about anything. It could be med school. It could be life. More about medicine. Ooh, let's see. I'll steer away from the medicine, but I'll, I'll try not to be too life coachy because I do love to do it. I'll tell you one of the, the coolest pieces of advice that I ever heard was on the very first day of orientation for us. Um, I don't remember specifically who said it, but he looked at our entire class and he's like, remember, in the next four years, you're gonna, do, you're gonna be doing one of two things. You're either winning or you're learning. And I was like, that is awesome. It is just cheesy enough where I'm gonna write that down. And it really has just become truer and truer because you don't learn from the successes in your life. You learn from the failures. And sometimes they can be painful, but those are ultimately the things that drive you to be better. You know, and there's there's a Hemingway quote that I really like. It's, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your formal self. And I think that that is just awesome because it's so easy to compare yourself to your classmates in med school. But everybody has different backgrounds, different knowledge coming into it. And everyone is going to be good at that really one thing, right? So you're around 200 people that are so awesome at one specific thing and everyone's showcasing their best. And you get the impression that like everyone is awesome at everything. And that's just not the case, you know, but nobody's going to come forward and say like, hey, these are my insecurities. So if nothing else, just focus on making yourself a better version of you. I think that there's a lot of stigma and cliches around self-help. You know, it sounds like you're going to feel an audiobook with like birds chirping in the background and like really, you know, ASMR type experiences. But I think that we should all be very big self-help, self-improvement advocates for ourselves. Because if you're not here to be a better person than you were yesterday, then really, why are you here? You know, and there's um, a technique called the, the Kaizen method. It was originally used for an assembly line, and it's how to have constant process improvement. But the idea of this is to be 1% better every day, 
which doesn't sound like a lot, right? Like if you're doing 10 push-ups and you're like, what's, well, let me rephrase that because that doesn't break evenly. If you're doing 100 push-ups a day and you're trying to be 1% better, you do 101. That doesn't seem like a lot, but in a year from then, you're going to be a 365, you know? So if you give me a process where you can get 365% better at something in a year, like in 10 years, you're going to be awesome at that thing, right? And life is just, you know, it's a constant progression and you're building up your skills. So I think trying to get 1% better, be a 1% better version of you every day and you'll look back on it and you'll be way, way, way ahead of where you ever thought you'd be. And that's, that's kind of where I'm sitting in terms of med school right now, because I look back at the first year material and I see, I sound like, I feel like I'm so far ahead of it, but I struggled with him. Like I, I did not knock it out of the park. I wasn't even sure that they were going to take me as a TA. I was like, are they going to go back and look at my grades? Because I sure not like exams often me do not get along, not even a little bit. Anyhow, uh, going back to just making yourself better, get, and that's not just with, you know, stuff related to med school, get better at the stuff outside of med school. Um, for me, I want to ship two really big things, financial health and personal finance. Like we are not taught anything about money. And I think that people have this fear of, I don't want to learn about money. That's going to make me greedy. That's going to make me corrupt. But that's kind of like saying, I don't want to learn about diseases because that's going to make me sick. Like, no, you learn about these diseases so that you can avoid it. You learn about all this horrible financial stuff so that you can avoid it. And if you have the liberty to not have to worry about those problems so much and be a lot more financially stable as a physician, there's a lot more of yourself left at the end of the day to give to your patients. Because like what what's going to be a better provider for their patients, a doctor or a physician who is financially stable and in a good place or somebody who you're telling them about all of the problems that you are experiencing and all of your symptoms and all they're thinking about is trying to bill you so they can pay back their loans. Like that's just two completely different approaches. So I'm a big fan of financial health. If I had to ship two books, uh, Broke Millennial, I want to say it's by Aaron Lowry, but if I'm messing that name up and got it confused, correct me. And then the white coat investor, which a lot of people know, but there's a white coat investor guide for students, which I think is super helpful. If you read those two books, you will be ahead of 90% of med students, let, let alone the general population. So would ship that. I also got really into cooking more out of like financial necessity because, you know, it adds up and I don't, I'm not an advocate of cooking and like you need this rare seed from this place that's $900, right? The only place you can find it is you go across town to this market. You find a man named Joe. He'll take it to the back. And normally if it's Tuesday, they'll have this seed. Like, I don't like that because then I spent $100 on this cooking ingredient. And I'm like, I can't put that in mashed potatoes. What am I going to do with that? So I, I became an advocate of making good food from healthy and just normal ingredients, you know? Not what can I do with this rare ingredient, but like, what can I do with potatoes? Turns out a lot. <laughs> yeah. But so I think both from a, a financial, a health perspective, and just from being a general skilled human being, upping your cooking game is really, really up there. Uh, and I guess I'll close with something deep and that will just, you know, hit your soul is that we get so caught up in what we're doing on a day-to-day -day in med school that you forget that like the world, the world's still turning outside of that. Um, maybe it's because, you know, not to make it too dark, but maybe it should be because throughout my clinical year in the past year, I've, I've seen a lot of death and been around a lot of unfortunate situations. 
And I don't want to make that about myself, but it does make you take a step back and realize like what is important to you, you know? And a lot of people wait till they're on their deathbed to to realize that. But if you can realize that sooner, I think all the more benefit, you know, you really only get to do this whole thing one time. And how do you want to spend that time? You know, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So I think you just have to find out like, how am I going to spend that time? Uh, and understanding that life is risky. It was risky when you were born. It's going to be risky every day of your life. So as soon as you let go of that and stop fearing the risk, it gets a lot more fun after that. Because even if you're sitting at home bubble wrapped, like you can still get cancer, you know? So I think just accepting the inherent risk and learning to, to ride the wave and give up on micromanaging every aspect of your life and just you know, steering the ship in the general direction you want it to go and then letting the winds take care of you after that. Just, it takes a lot off your back. And I think it'll take a lot of the pressure that we all tend to put on ourselves. Um, I'll, I'll cut it now before I get too philosophical, you know, but thank you for coming to my <clears throat> TED talk. It was a great TED talk. Absolutely. We appreciate your time and thank you for the wisdom. And that is a very profound note to end on. Again, thank you so much for sharing some of your time and wisdom with us today. The first year medical students are very lucky to have you as their TA for hematology. To our listeners, that was fourth year medical student Aaron Fox and a little snapshot into the hematology block. My name is Abdul. My name is Anu. And please remember to follow the Tar Heel prescription on Instagram to keep up with our speaker highlights and upcoming episodes. Thank you for tuning in today and we will see you next time on the Tar Heel Prescription.